That's a pre-introduction here, okay? This isn't even the sermon. But uh, uh, there's an outline. Uh, if there's any of them left, there's an outline for the sermon tonight in the back. It says Daniel right on the front of it. We're having a verse-by-verse series through the book of Daniel. And so I hope you'll grab one of those. It'll help you with the message tonight. And then uh, I don't always get this done uh, ahead of time, but I've also got the small group outlines uh, for this week done as well. If you'd like to grab one of those to study this week in preparation for your small group, uh, you can grab both of those. If we run out, I can print some more before we leave tonight um, if you need them. Also, I haven't talked about this in a while, but we have these copies of the book of Daniel. It's just a thin uh, paperback copy of the book of Daniel. Um, but what it has is it has a copy of the text on one side and then it has blank lines on the other side so that as we go verse by verse through Daniel, you can take your own personal notes, highlight, has thicker paper on it. A lot of times we don't like to use that kind of stuff in our Bibles because the ink bleeds through or the colors bleed through. Won't do that with this. And you can, you can just take your own notes as we go verse by verse through the book of Daniel. And so those are available uh, on the welcome desk in the back. Uh, there were five bucks a piece. If you have five bucks to help cover the cost of it, great. If you don't have five dollars to your name, we'll give it to you, okay? Um, and that's just fine. But uh, there's a couple of resources that will be beneficial, I think, to you as we go through this series. We're in the book of Daniel, and tonight we'll be in verses 17 uh, through 21 of chapter number one. And so let's briefly consider the context of what's happening here uh, before we dive into our study from the book of Daniel tonight. Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, um, they had been taken captive by the Babylonian government, along with many of their fellow countrymen. By the way, just as a side note, I think we need to get back to calling them Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their God-given names. A lot of times we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was the worldly names. Uh, I think Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah would rather be called by their real names. Uh, what do you guys think? I, you say, well, I don't, I'm not familiar with those names. We'll get familiar with those names. A little pet peeve of mine. All right, their sidetrack's done. Let's get back to the point. But they were taken captive by the Babylonian government and dragged into the land of Babylon. Because of their royal birth, they were all from the uh, uh, tribe of Judah. And because of their uh, good looks and their, uh, their already uh, uh, good education that they had received in the early years of their life, they were selected out of all the people who were taken captive to be uh, put, put through the uh, Royal Training Institute. Uh, we could call it the public education system, or we could call it the Secularization Institute, uh, or the Brainwashing Institute for the World, whatever you want to call it, okay? Um, but that's what was taking place, and they were subjected to this training for three years. They were put through the finest uh, worldly schools of their time, and all of this was get, to get them ready to be able to be presented before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. In those years of training, one of the things we've already began to see as we've studied chapter 1 is that these young men made some choices. They had some choices that set them apart from all the other young people, not just all the other young people, but all the other people who lived in their time. And so as we begin in our text tonight, we're going to read of what finally happened when they were presented before King Nebuchadnezzar. Starting in verse 17, if you're with me, say amen. And the Bible says in verse 17, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. 
And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now, as we begin with this account tonight, let me give you some words of introduction to build the, uh, the context of what's real, the, the weight of what's really happening in this passage of Scripture. This time... King Nebuchadnezzar was no rookie being a ruler. I want to read to you something that I uh, read from a, a commentator who knows a lot more about these things than I do that I thought was interesting. He gave this record of Nebuchadnezzar's resume at this point in history. He said, By now the Babylonian king was well into his stride. He had met and mastered the Egyptian king at Carchemish in, in, on May 6th of, or in May of 605 B.C., then the news of his father's death caused Nebuchadnezzar to put his military conquest on hold while he hurried back to Babylon to secure his throne, his title to the throne. And he was crowned the king of Babylon on September 6th of 605 B.C. It would have been about this time that Daniel and the other Judean princelings were taken to the court of Babylon to begin their intensive instruction. I find it interesting to think about Nebuchadnezzar was the most prominent, most powerful world leader of that day and time. This was no easy person to impress. It was this great king, Nebuchadnezzar, who had himself unique ability to know what leadership looked like and know what the type of talent he wanted in the most prominent kingdom of the world at that time. He had a unique ability to see the type of leaders and individuals he wanted to be leaders in his kingdom. It was this man who examined Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Yet still, the Bible says he found them to be ten times better. You should feel the weight of that. This man was. And how savvy of a man he must have been to be able to pick out men to be leaders in his military and leaders in his kingdom. And yet in examining these young men, he still found them to be ten times better. So we see that Daniel and his companions, they chose to live in such a way that proved to be ten times better than all the others of their time, even to one of the most well-respected and powerful men of the world in the day in which they lived. Come back to this statement that we began talking about with last week. God expects for his people to be better. He expects for his people to be better. In our culture today, the status quo, the bare minimum, are the norm. And they're acceptable. And we have people who you can hardly get them to even do their jobs, not to mention uh, go beyond what the job requires. And uh, those of you that are in any type of leadership today, you can relate with that. And you could probably speak to that better than I could. But it's a, it's a problem of the day and time that we're living in. I'll tell you this, it should not be that way among the followers of Jesus Christ. And just by way of introduction, I remind you, God, the reason why God expects us to be better is because God has saved us and called us to shine forth the light of his gospel through the lives that we live on this earth. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And God wants the world to see the kind of life that we live and realize there's something different about them because they've been with Jesus. And that's what's different about us. 
whether or not they see that in the beginning, our lives should be lived different. Our lives should be lived at a different level than the people of this world because we have God in our hearts. We have God in our life. And so God expects his people to be different. And one of the ways we see that demonstrated in the scripture, of course, is Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. The Bible says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with what? All thy might. All, give it all you got. God expects us to be different because we're people who live differently. We give our best effort. And so it's God's desire that we be, as his people, we be a people who are a different breed, a cut above the rest. And by the way, we'll hit on this more in a minute. What makes us better, what makes us different is ultimately God and his working in our hearts. We understand that. We ought, to, we ought to also understand that as God works in our heart and as we allow him to pour out his grace in our lives, it should lead us to live different lives than what this world is seeing demonstrated by the vast majority of society. In your notes, you'll notice 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. This is what the Bible says. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. I'd say God wants us to be a little bit different, wouldn't you? I'd say that God wants us to live in such a way that glorifies God in the midst of a dark and lost world. So here's my question for you as we begin. How can you live a life that will be deemed as 10 times better? We begin 10 different choices that you can make that God will use to make you 10 times better. We're going to review the first five very quickly and jump into the final five and our study of the text here tonight. I want you to think about this as we study this tonight. How can you make some choices tonight to let God work in your heart and through your life? You can be 10 times better. You can be the child of God that God has called you to be. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts as we open the scriptures. Our Father, we come before you and thank you for the opportunity to be able to open your word tonight. So much rich truth for us in these several verses. And I pray, God, that you would give us liberty to preach the truth of your word and clarity of thought and heart. I pray that you will eliminate distractions and help us to dig deep into the practical truth that you have for us in this text. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that you, as your Holy Spirit works in our heart, will transform our lives, renew our minds to where they need to be and Lord uh, help us to go out of here with confidence and hope in your word uh, to obey it and do what you are leading us to do and we pray these things in Jesus name amen and amen 10 choices God will use to make you 10 times better let's look let's look at the first five very quickly here number one we saw these last week so if you want to hear the full account you can go back and listen to the sermon from last week but I'll review them very quickly number one don't lose your roots Verses 1 through 7, one of the things we saw demonstrated there is that Daniel and his friends, they stood out because they never lost sight of who they were or where they came from. Never lost sight of it. The world tried to change them. They tried to secularize them. It didn't work. One way that you can be a person who stands out is simply by knowing who you are in Christ 
Knowing what you believe from the Scripture, by the way, as Americans, it's also a good and healthy thing to know what our history is, too. Where we've come from, the principles we've been founded on. And in the day and time we live in, uh, that, stand, that, that stands out. Have somebody who actually knows what they believe and can verbalize it and was, is willing to stand for it is a peculiar thing. And so, number one, don't lose sight of your roots. Don't lose your roots. Number two, get your priorities straight. Get your priorities straight. We saw this in verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart along with his companions. And one of the things that set them apart from the rest is that they were willing to set boundaries and not cross them. They're willing to say, no, there's some things I won't do and there's some things I will do. I have a priority to obey God before man. And uh, you, if you will live in such a way where uh, you'll, you'll decide that you're going to live for God even if nobody else does, that's a unique thing. That's a peculiar thing. Most people go with the flow. They cave in. They don't want to stand against culture. But God has called us to be different. And that's something that stands out. Number three, rely on God's providence. Rely on God's providence. We saw in verses 2, verses 9, and verse 17, over and over, the Bible says that God moved among the people of men to allow things to transpire exactly how they did. And one of the things that made Daniel and his companions different is that in the midst of a culture that was worried, that was relying on self, that was uh, worried about what was going on in the world, no matter what happened to Daniel and his friends, they trusted God. That made them different. They trusted God. They resisted eating the food they knew they weren't supposed to eat. They trusted God before they went into the fire. And they trusted God before they went into the lion's den. The fact is, no matter what they faced, they just decided, well, God's going to take care of us. And if he doesn't, I guess I'm going to heaven. <laughs> uh, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they, before they went into the fire. And uh, that's an important thing for us to understand. And so they chose to rely on God's providence. And I'm telling you something. Child of God that's willing to trust God in the midst of the unstable circumstances of the day and time that we live in will be a unique thing, a peculiar thing to see someone who has peace, joy. They're not worried. They're not upset. Though the person they wanted didn't get elected, though something happens on the national scale that gets everybody else stirred up and worried, they're not disturbed because they're trusting God. That's a different thing in the day and time we're living in. Number four, do hard things. We already studied this in verses 8 through 16. Daniel and his companions, they showed courage to do what no one else, none of the other Jewish captives said, no, we're not going to eat those things. We're not supposed to eat those. But they did. They made that choice, and that made them stand out. And I talked to you last week, hey, living for God is hard. Not living for God is hard too. By the way, there's worse consequences for not living for God. Just choose what kind of hard you want to live because it's all hard. I'd rather, I'd rather do the hard thing and living for God. Definitely better reward. Number five, never stop growing. Stop growing. We saw this in verse 17. Daniel and his fellows, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they continued growing. They continued learning. They never stopped learning. They didn't slack off. They applied themselves to keep growing. And that's something that set them apart from the rest of the people who were getting trained right alongside of them. They did not squander their training years. They stewarded those years. And so that brings us up to speed. Some of you say, well, why couldn't you just preach it that fast last week? <laughs> well, I'll work on that, okay? But here's number six for tonight. You want to be ten times better, be intentional with your time. Intentional with your time. Verse number five, I want you to go back to verse number five with me and be reminded here. The Bible says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them for how long? Help me out. How long was it? Three years, nourishing them for three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. A time period was set 
for the developmental years of these young men. They were given three years, just three meager years of training and education to prepare them for a lifetime of service. And understand that while some of their companions no doubt squandered those years, Daniel and his fellows decided that they were going to steward those years and intentionally use those years to get their life ready to live for God. In three years' time, they learned the language of the Chaldeans. In three years' time, they learned the culture of the Chaldeans. In three years' time, they learned the law and the system of government of the Chaldean government. In three years' time, they learned how to present themselves uh, before the king in a proper manner. In three years' time, they learned how to stand for what they believed in through the circumstances that they went through in those training years. In three years' time, Daniel began to develop the gift of prophecy. And we see all of this indicated in verse 17. In three years, what set them apart from the rest of the people in their day and time is essentially this. They lived their lives with intentionality. They lived their life with discipline and with purpose. Their training years were not wasted years. They decided they were going to use them to get their life ready to live for God. And no doubt it was during those years that habits were developed that blossomed into lifelong practices that continued to benefit them in adulthood. I can see old Daniel as a 13, 14, 15-year-old young man during those years of training into the habit of three times a day kneeling down talking to God. They know he did that when he was in his 80s. I venture to say he did it in his 80s because when he was a young man he decided I'm going to start walking with God. See, he learned how to be intentional with his time. Now young people listen to me on this. You might think, well I'll live for God when I get older. I'll tell you this it's a whole lot better if you learn to live for God now. It's get a whole lot harder when you get older. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 remember now creator in the days of thy youth while the evil days come not nor the years draw nigh when you'll say i don't have any joy in them anymore right now's the time to start living for god and daniel and his companions they decided they were going to start living with some intentionality now hey every one of us listen to me every one of us are given the same amount of time every single day I read this not too long ago he said you get seven hundred thousand hours in a lifetime it's the average U.S. life expectancy, 700,000 hours. You'll use 185,000 of them before you turn 21. You'll spend 60,000 of them over 70 on average. Sleep through 152,000 of, of what's left of that. Hallelujah for that. Eat and drink 45,000 of the remainder. You'll use the bathroom, wash and groom away 10,000 more. Some of you ladies might wash a little bit longer than that, and some of you men... Well, I won't go there. Which leaves you 248,000 hours to invest in the prime of your life. 10,000 full days. Or just 35% what you started with. In that perspective, we really don't have much time, as much time as we think we do, do we? Every moment is a gift from God. Wasted time can never be regained. Can never be regained. And so it is to your detriment to live your life thinking I have more time. Well, when I retire, I'll live for God. How often have I heard that? When I get past this busy season of life, I'll live for God. Let's wait until I raise my kids and then I'll have more time. Sometimes have I heard someone say, uh, I, let me just give you this quote. This is better. 
One person put it this way. They said, adulthood is saying, after this week, we'll slow down a bit, over and over and over until you die. <laughs> oh, that's pretty true, isn't it? <laughs> that's pretty true. Uh, the Bible says in Job 14, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The man said, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once you've lost it, you can never get it back. I think that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 39 and verse 4, he prayed and he said, Lord, make me to know mine end and, my, and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Interesting prayer. And every day we're confronted with the reminder that our lives will not last forever. And so we need to intentionally use every day, every hour that God gives to us. You must choose to steward every moment that you are given for God. I like Stephen Covey. I've read a lot of Stephen Covey's stuff. Stephen Covey put it this way. He said, the key is not spending your time, but investing your time. Now, many of you are good at investing your money. You squander your time. Invest your time, invest your time into eternal things. Moses said in Psalm chapter 90, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. That means buying back the time because the days are evil. And so we need to choose to steward the time of life that God gives to us. By the way, I'll put it this way too. You ought to steward every season of life that God blesses you with. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, verse 1 tells us that to everything uh, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. And it goes on and mentions many of these seasons. And boy, some of you are in the season of your youth. Don't squander it. You only get to be young for so long. You'll live a whole lot more of your life being an adult than you do being a kid, being a young person. Don't squander the days of your youth. You ought to use them for the Lord. Uh, some of us are in a season of life where we're raising our kids. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I, live, I pray every single day that God will help me to enjoy the kids while I have them. pray it every day. I am faced with this reality every single day. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss a moment. I enjoy every part of it because I know I'll miss it when it's gone. Steward, be intentional with the time you have. Uh, some of you are in the midst of your career right now. You understand you're not going to get to work forever. Some guys, they get done with their job and they don't know what to do themselves. Right? You, only, you only get to work for so long. Uh, one day, hey, work for the night is coming when man's work is done. We sing the song. And you ought to, you ought to use your working days to the best of your ability. Hey, what about the fourth quarter of life? What's that? Well, I'm not going to explain it to you. I think you understand what it means, okay? Who were those days? Pouring, pouring into the next generation, steward those days for the Lord. Whatever season of life you're in, be intentional. Don't squander away the days that God blesses you with. Living intentionally will set your life apart from the rest as a testimony to God's glory. And so the, the sixth thing I want you to see here is that you need to be intentional with your time. Number seven, don't quit. Don't quit. A pretty simple principle. Let's see how we see it in the text. In verse number 18, I want you to see the Bible says, now at the end of the days. You see that there? At the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says at the end of the days. Now how many days were they appointed? Do you remember? 
Three years. They were given three years, and at the end of three years, those three years had come, and those three years have gone. And what do you think that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were still doing? They were still not defiling themselves with the king's meat. They were still living purpose lives. They still hadn't lost track of their roots. They still decided that they were going to live for God. They were still growing. They were still growing. Uh, they were still learning. All of these things were taking place. And what I'm trying to get across to you here is they didn't just come to a church service one day and decide, well, I want to live for God. Walk up from the altar and go out the doors and presently forget about their decision. That's where a lot of us live. We say we want to live for God. Well, we don't keep our commitments very long, do we? We have some young men who decided, I want to live for God, and they didn't quit. Decided they were going to stay after, and even after three years, what set them apart is they didn't just make decisions and not keep decisions. When they said they were going to do something, they stayed with it. That's a significant thing for us to understand because we live in a society where quitting is the norm. Understand that we're living in the midst of an economic time that has literally been labeled as the Great Resignation. It started in 2021, and uh, in fact, some people are calling it just just affectionately calling it the Big Quit. <laughs> and it's happening all over the place. People are just up and quitting their jobs. They just decide they don't want to stick with it. And a lot of it had to do with. Uh, can I say this? I'll say it anyways. Biden bucks. A lot of it had to do with that. If I'm going to get free, free, free money from the government, well, then I guess I'll just not, not work a job. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I can park on that a long time, but I won't, okay? But we feel it when we go to a restaurant. I have to say, I'm sorry it's taking so long, but can't get anybody to work. Everybody's quit. Feel it because we can't get anybody to uh, get things shipped to us on time and all these kinds of things. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. You know uh, you, can, you can feel it from what we're going through in our society today. And the truth is we're going through a time when people don't stick with what they've committed themselves to. I'll be bold enough to say this. The present generation has been trained by the previous generation to be this way. You may not like to hear it. It's the truth of the matter. And there's a lot of things I could say to get to add to that, but I want you guys to start throwing tomatoes at me, so I won't. All right? But just give you this piece of counsel. Listen to me, parents especially. Kid decides they want to do something, don't let them quit. They want to play a sport, an instrument. Commit themselves to do something. Don't let them quit. Training your kid to be a quitter if you, don't, if you don't make them stay with the things that they say they want to do. You better make sure they understand, hey, if you want to do this, I'm not going to let you quit. You'd, you'd be doing your, your child a, a world of favors by teaching them to stick with something. And uh, I can go on about that, but I won't. But, you know, the single greatest quality that God looks for in his people is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. God's not looking for perfection. God's looking for someone who'll be faithful. A faithful person is simply someone who can be relied on. Someone who doesn't quit. God doesn't need your ability. He asks for your availability. And God's the one who has all the power. He just wants to have a vessel who's willing to let him work through their lives. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. It's one thing for you to stand up and try to brag about all the things that you can do, but if you never show up to do them, what good are you? I'd rather have the guy who can't hardly do anything, but he always shows up. The faithful person. And God's looking for faithful people. Uh, faithfulness is not measured in days, measured in decades. Measured in decades. That's why I loved honoring Miss Daisy May this morning. A woman who for 93 years has been faithful 
living for the Lord. And that's something worth honoring. There's no doubt about that. Faithfulness is measured in decades. You know, if Daniel had been like most of us, he would have decided to live for God on Sunday. By, by the time Monday rolled around, forget about what he decided to do. It's not fun to listen to, but it's true for a lot of us in our lives. God's called us to be faithful. He's not looking for perfection. He is looking for persistence. He is looking for perseverance. Uh, it reminds me of my favorite Spurgeon quote. All right, here it is. By great perseverance, the snail made it to the ark. <laughs> you might not be going very fast, but you can at least have snail-like persistence and make it. All right? You cannot quit. You can keep going. The Bible says in Proverbs 24 and verse 10, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. By the way, faithfulness is measured more in the little things than it is in the big things. Faithfulness is measured more in the little things than in the big things. Because Daniel and his friends were faithful not to eat the food that God had told them not to eat, later on we see them being faithful and standing up for God and being willing to face the fire in the lion's den. It started with a little thing before they were confronted with the big thing. Luke, the book of Luke, chapter number 16 and verse 9 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, but he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. H.A. Ironside, I like how he put it. He said the only way to be faithful to God is by being faithful in the little things. I've heard of Christians refer to certain precepts in Scripture as non-essentials, but we may rest assured that there are no non-essentials in our Bibles. Listen to me. It may seem like a little thing to you. If it's in God's Word, it's a big thing to God. There are no non-essentials in the Word of God. Every word is inspired and is preserved for us and relevant to our lives today. So you want to be someone who lives a life that's ten times better? Don't quit. Stick with it. Here's the, here's the eighth thing. Always be ready. Always be ready. Uh, the Bible, uh, in verses 19 and 20, begins to talk to us about this. Daniel and his fellows, they were, they were brought in to stand before Nebuchadnezzar, who, as we've already seen, was one of the greatest leaders uh, in the world, if not the greatest leader of his day and time. And much like Queen Sheba, in years gone by, had come to confront Solomon and to prove him with hard questions, that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was doing to these young men at this point in time. And uh, he had ample reasons for doing so. He was a prestigious leader who could recognize leaders, and he wanted to have the best of the best. As the greatest king of the world in that day and time, he wanted to make sure that people who were giving him counsel were the best and the brightest of his day. And he was entitled to desire that. And so when these young men were brought in to stand before this great king, can you imagine how daunting and how intimidating that must have been? Let's read about what happened in verses 19 and 20 again. The Bible says, And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. What set them apart as ten times better was the manner of, in which they presented themselves. What the scripture indicates to us here is that when they stood before the king, they were ready. They were ready. What were they ready for? As believers in Christ, what do we need to be ready to stand for? What do we need to be ready to uh, uh, present ourselves for? Uh, three things very quickly. First off, we need to be ready to, you need to be ready to speak what you believe. 
The Bible says that the king communed with them there at the beginning of verse 19. That means he had a conversation with them. And the manner with which these young people spoke to the king was godly. It was intelligent. It was superior. In the conversation the king had with these four, there was just no comparison between them and the rest who were ready to speak what they believed. And let me just suffice it to say the manner in which a believer speaks ought to be superior to others. Uh, of Jesus, some pagan men, some lost men, they got so enamored with Jesus' word when they were sent to capture him and bring him to the Jews, they came back empty-handed and the Jews asked them, where is he? What did they have to say to him? Never a man spake like this man. We were so enamored by the way that he spoke. And you say, well, I can't be a Jesus. Okay, well, still all the same, God has instructed us that our conversation ought to be different as Christians. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Listen to me. Most people, conversation is filled with empty, earthly, or evil things. Wonder if we get back the conversations you've had the past week in your workplace, in your home, the things that you've listened to on your television, we hear. Communication of God's people ought to be different. And by the way, I'll just get on this because we're here. The Bible still condemns cussing. Oh, no corrupt communication. Proceed out of your mouth. Hey, how many times? And listen, if you've done this, I'm not mad at you, and this is not directed at you. Okay, I love you in Jesus' name, and everybody's growing in grace. I understand that. But I can't tell you how many times I'll be sitting in my office or in this auditorium, someone starts cussing. Oh, oh pardon me. I want to say, no, I don't. I don't think I will pardon you, actually. Conversation should be different as believers. You say, well, I just, I've always cussed, and I just can't. God can help you overcome that. Start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You can. You can. And uh, uh, there's a lot more I can say about that, but uh, we don't, we're running out of time, so I better stop right there. Um, simply put, we need to be ready to speak well in a way that is honoring to God. Ready to speak what you believe. Here's the second thing. Ready to answer for your actions ready to answer for your actions. The Bible says in verse 20 that the king inquired of them about all matters. That, that word inquired, it literally means to examine or to compare. And it wasn't just he asked them questions, but he weighed their answer to his questions against the answer that other people gave to his questions. And almost in my mind, I picture an apologetic type of scenario here between the people of God and the people of the world. And the king listens to the answer from the people of God. And he says, you know what? That makes a whole lot more sense. Why? Because they knew what they believed and they were ready to answer for their actions. They were ready to give an answer. And I'm going to tell you something. Something that will set you apart as a child of God will be if you, in studying the scriptures and getting grounded in the truth, are ready to give an answer for the questions that the people who are in this lost world have about the Christian faith. Far be it from us that we continue to live with this uh, this. Lazy Christianity that says, well, I don't know. Let me go ask my pastor. Listen, if you want to come ask me a question, I don't care. If you continue to not be able to answer the question year after year, comes a point when you have to, you have to realize that's because you're not willing to study, not because you haven't had time to grow. You say, well, that's mean. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to challenge you. We need to keep growing in our faith. As children of God, we need to be ready to give an answer. 
Let me give you a verse. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And friend, you've been saved, some of you, 10, 20, 30 years. You still don't know how to lead a soul to Christ. You still don't know how to talk to people about even basic things from the Scripture. Listen to the challenge from the Word of God tonight. What ought to set God's people apart is that we're ready to give an answer. God help us to grow in this area. Ready to answer for your actions. Ready to speak what you believe. Here's another thing. Be ready to stand for what is right. Ready to stand for what is right. The Bible says at the end of Verse number 19, I believe it was, that they stood before the king. Now, if you study the account of the book of Esther, understand the culture and climate of that day and time, that was no eager thing. And uh, I understand there's different kingdoms between Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom and Persia, but the, the customs were very similar. And the fact that they were giving a standing before the king was a very big deal in that day and time. Not only did they get to stand before an earthly king, they were willing to take a stand before the heavenly king. Later on, you go to chapter 3, you go to chapter 5, you'll find these young men, as they grow older and older, taking a stand for God time after time in the court of that earthly king. God come through for them every single time. But they were willing to, they were ready to take a stand for what they believed in. And I'll tell you something, just being a person who's willing to take a stand for what's right will be something that makes you stand out in the day we live in. Just be willing to say, you know what, guys, we shouldn't be talking about that. Willing to say, you know what, guys, that's not the kind of conversation that we should have. Willing to stand up in your workplace, in your home, among your family members for what is right, take some guts. There's one man uh, in our church, and I, I, don't, I didn't ask permission to share his name, so I won't, but he was asked to do a service, a funeral service for his family. And to do so, he was facing opposition from some of his family members, and they said, no, I don't want you to make this service religious. He's proud of him. He did. I wasn't there. I didn't hear everything that he said. He was determined he was going to honor God with that. And you know what? God blessed it. That's what I'm talking about. Being a person who's willing to take a stand for what is right, even against opposition. And so that's, that's something that sets us apart as the children of God. Now, we're almost out of time, so we're going to wrap this up very quickly. Or you guys can just come carry me off if you want to, okay? Verse number 9, give your best. Give your best. Verse 20, the Bible says, In all matters of wisdom and understanding, the king inquired of them. He found them what? Well, you better help me out. We'll never finish this thing. Ten times better. Right, you're still with me. Ten times better than all of the rest. The king found these young men to be ten times better. That phrase, ten times better, it literally means ten hands. And I told you last week, I, I envisioned a slam dunk competition where they have all the, the judge panel there. And slam, Some of you don't even know what that is. I, I grew up in Indiana. Forgive me, okay? That was the only sport in Indiana. Um, they slam the ball down, and boy, they lift up their little numbers to evaluate how well they did. And the king, when he saw Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel, boy, he said, they're the best. Put up a 10, a 10, 10, 10, 10 for all of them. Uh, they were the best of the best. But I want you to notice, uh, they were not just superior to the other graduates who were standing next to them. No, the Bible says that they were also superior to all the others. It says, to all of the magicians and the astrologers, in all his realm. The magicians would have been those who were caught up in the occult that day and time. The astrologers were those who dealt in astrology, obviously, and, and reading the stars and trying to forecast through those things. And I like to say that it's, it's the devil's crowd. Listen to this. 
But the devil's best against God's best, there's no comparison. No comparison. Found them ten times better. And so their choice to give their best in a way that honored God resulted in their being found ten times better than the rest. And let me just say, God's way is always the best way. A lot of scripture I could quote on that. God's way is always the best way. And as we follow God's way, God expects, expects for us as his people to give our best effort. Um, uh, and the Bible says, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might. Now, no doubt there were people in Daniel, Daniel's day who were more talented, more gifted, more smart, and all of these things than Daniel. But why did they not compare to Daniel and his fellows? Because Daniel and his friends gave their best for God's purpose. In turn, God blessed their efforts for doing so. I'll tell you something. The Bible says in Psalm 37 and verse 23, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Psalm 119 verses 99 and 100 talks about how the psalmist said, I, I have more understanding than my teachers. Some of you kids should look up that verse and share it with your teacher tomorrow, okay? 119 and verse 99. I have more understanding than my teachers. Why? Because I keep your word. I have more understanding than the ancients because I followed that which is true. It's a paraphrase of those verses. Why these young men stood out, not just among their peers, among those who were older than them and had more experience than them, because they had any cunning of themselves because God had blessed them. They entrusted themselves to the Lord and gave their best effort God blessed them beyond that, and in the end, they stood out as 10 times better. And I love that truth. Now, let's give you the last one here. Be 10 times better by God's help. Continue. Continue. Look at verse 21, and we'll be done. 21, here's what the Bible says. Let's read it out loud together here. Some of you are getting a little sleepy, okay? 21, here's what it says. Let's read it together. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel continued. Let's just think about that for a minute before we finish. Daniel was a teenager. He was drug off to Babylon in 605 B.C. For the next 70 plus years of his life, Daniel continued. Continued when Israel was taken captive. Was still continuing for God when Israel went back to the land 70 years later. Most commentators agree he still would have been alive at that point. And so he was still continuing for God after all those years. He continued through the reigns of some of the most powerful leaders of the world in world history. He continued through the powerful reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. He continued under the foolish King Belshazzar, whom he lost the kingdom to Persia uh, under his reign. He continued under the cunning King Darius, uh, who became the leader of the superpower of the Persian world. And he continued under the instrumental King Cyrus, who eventually let God's people go back to the promised land. The point is, he continued all the time that he lived. He just continued to live for God. He continued to live a pure life. He continued to speak the truth. He continued to pray faithfully. He continued to study God's word fervently. He continued to record the truth of Scripture and the prophecies that God moved him to write. He continued to minister to kings and to servants. And he continued to stand for God through decades after decade, time after time, through trials that we don't even know about because they're not recorded in the Scripture, Daniel just kept on living for God. That's what God's called us to do. He's called us to continue. The choice that will set you apart is ten times better for God is the choice to continue. 2 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul wrote to Timothy, 
And here's what he said. Continue thou the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. It goes on and says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It goes in and talks about being faithful to believing that word of God. The truth is, God's called us to continue as God's people. You know what? You say, well, pastor, I don't have any great ability. I don't have any great understanding. You don't have to have those things for God to use you. Some of the people that I respect the most, people can't sing, not preachers, they've done nothing of what seems to be eternal consequence, the actions that they've done. They've been faithful to God for years. Every time I go back to Indiana where I grew up, go to one of these churches I grew up in, and I see one of these people still there, still teaching that Sunday school class, still serving God. Year after year, decade after decade, just continue. I'll tell you, it's different. It's ten times better. That's what God's called us to be, faithful. He's called us to simply continue. And before we wrap this up, I want to just mention to you this again. What's the motive? What's the motive for why we ought to desire to be ten times better? We can get pulled up on the platform and say, well, this guy's just doing so good. Our motive is not pride. motive is praise. Our motive, living this type of life, not so we get glory, so he gets glory. He gets all the credit anyways. The Bible says every good gift comes down from above, from God. Everything good comes from your life or my life. We all understand it's all God and it's none of me. You don't want to be ten times better. The world says, wow, they're, 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 they're such righteous, holy people. For people to say those types of things about us, we want to live in such a way that reflects the greatness of the God who has made us ten times better. That other people can say, the great God they serve. You read through the rest of Daniel, we'll see this in our study. Time and time again, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they stand for God. They take a stand that's a ten time better kind of stand. And at the end of it, kings, rulers, enemies, all of them have to look at Daniel's life and say, Man, Daniel's God, it's the real God. It's the kind of life I want to live. Life that brings great glory to God. Life that's superior, not because of my talent or ability, because of God and what God's doing in my life. By God's help, every one of us can live that kind of life. I don't know how God's spoken to your heart about a practical message. I like to call this more like a shotgun message. We just kind of shot it out there and it went all over the place. Lots of principles for us here. I dare say, Holy Spirit of God hit you with something tonight. Area you need to grow in. My encouragement for you as we come to invitation is that you be obedient to the Lord, responding, making a decision, Go forth from this place, not forget about that decision as soon as you walk out the door. Go forth from this place and allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in your life this week. Live out the principles that he's spoken to your heart about. We'll bow our heads and close our eyes together.